It's the beginning of March. It's pretty cold outside. It's tried to snow, sleet, hail and rain all over the country today. But you're here for the third episode of Coffee Break with Marcus and James. I'm James and you are... Marcus Stead. Good to be with you again, James. Yeah, it's good to, good to be back, Marcus, for our monthly uh, Coffee Break. How have you been this month? I've been, well, it's, I'm getting a bit down, to be honest with you, because we've just had the last, the last month here in South Wales has been very hard with all the torrential rain we've been having. Mm. The area around Pontypridd and Nangaru, parts of Wales I know very well. Businesses have been affected. Homes have been affected. It'll be a long time before we're back on our feet. And when I say rain, it's not just a, a bit of, you know, drizzle or anything. This is torrential rain that goes on for hours and hours. And it's been going on for weeks now. I don't normally let these things bother me. But it has been quite grim recently. But um, that's been the story of my month. You're you're just back from South Africa, I believe. I am. I'm drinking a bottle. Oh, I pretty much got for a bottle of uh, a fine uh, Durban Hill, Durbanville Hills uh, red wine from South Africa. I purchased a lot of cheap wine out there, but absolutely delicious. I've had some lovely, lovely um, fillet, uh, well, T-bone steak, uh, which I know you won't like because uh, being a pescatarian, uh, that goes nowhere near your mouth. But I uh, trust me, it was delicious and it was dirt cheap. And you know, I had a good time, but the weather was rough. Rubbish. So I came home and the weather's pretty rubbish here as well. I mean, uh, the wife's up in Manchester right now. She's had hail, rain, sleet and snow all in one day today. We haven't had too much flooding down here, but I have seen on the pictures quite a lot of local non-league footballs been getting called off. The grass pitches have been saturated with water. But to be honest, I'm just trying to protect myself from this goddamn coronavirus right now. So uh, I won't be talking with a mask on right now because I'm not with anyone, but it's it's awful, isn't it? It's getting more and more concerning by the day, and we released a 20-minute topic special podcast on the coronavirus and what can realistically be done. And we're looking at where we are now in terms of Europe. There are Well, first things first, there are now more cases outside China than inside China, which is in itself significant. Um, in terms of Europe, the country that is most affected so far by far and away is Italy, although there is now not a single Western country that hasn't been impacted to a certain extent, at least. We're seeing almost daily cases in England. And the most concerning aspect of it is in Surrey, the person who was diagnosed the other day was not actually ill. It was a person who was just randomly tested. And that suggests that we don't really know how this virus works. And the big problem we've got is the incubation period, because you can be walking around with it for 14 or 21 days with no symptoms whatsoever. And um, you could be just carrying on your life. A little bit of spit comes out of your mouth, tiny little droplets, goes to somebody else, and they're affected far more severely. Um, Now, we had our first case in Wales uh, in the middle of last week. Thankfully, only one case in Wales so far. But the reality is it is now active in Wales. It does not respect borders at all, this sort of thing. We had the emergency meeting of the COBRA committee today. And um, it's getting more and more serious all the time. And I, I do wonder, you know, in all seriousness, whether by the end of the week, Uh, the next week's Cheltenham Festival could be called off. We already know the Republic of Ireland have called off their Six Nations match against Italy. Whether we'll be advised not to gather in theatres. I'm due to go to the theatre a week on Wednesday in Swansea. Um, And I do do wonder whether these sort of things are going to be going ahead for much longer. Well, you've got to think at the end of the day, one of the first cases was uh, in my my manner, Worthing. Mm. One of the first cases was down here. And, you know, with my job being a flight attendant, I'm very cautious of where I'm going at work I mean as usual like you know I've got a cut on my finger at the moment I had at work and I've been wrapping up in plaster just to make sure I've got no open wounds I am I mean as a food handler I wash my hands 
a lot anyway, but I'm doing it even more so. Now, a proper wash under the taps, you know, 20 seconds, good old soap and water. And I'm putting some hand sanitizer on. I'm, I mean, for someone that bites his nails, it's very hard to try and resist that urge, but I'm trying my best to stop doing it because, you know what, at the end of the day, my livelihood, mine and my wife's livelihood rely on the fact of flying. And, you know, if one of us gets sick or, you know, at the end of the day, so my employer have been cancelling flights over the last few days and luckily it hasn't affected me yet, but I rely on flights to earn money. So it concerns me in terms of money. It concerns me in terms of, you know, just welfare. Like obviously me or my wife, you know, got sick. It'd be awful, not in one way. And, you know, it, the, the overall, the overall thing is, is like, yeah, how if you have to incubate yourself and you have to miss work, how, how are you going to pay the bills? This is the one of the big problems of it is, again, if you do get it and if one child in a school gets it, the whole school would realistically have to close for at least three weeks. Yeah. Um, we, we're seeing now this that one school in Surrey isn't there where they're, they're deep cleaning it, but realistically it has to be closed for three weeks. In Japan, all schools in Japan are now going to be closed until the end of March. Yeah. Um, it's, it's because of the unpredictability of it. Now, Greg Lance Watkins in the 20-Minute Topic podcast uh, went into quite a lot of depth about this. It's something like 30 times more likely to be deadly than an ordinary strain of flu. That's why we're taking this so seriously. It, to a large extent, affects the elderly, but not necessarily the elderly. There are some perfectly healthy people. There are pregnant women and newborn babies who've been very badly affected by it. So it's not something to be taken lightly at all. And it is not a respect of borders. It's not a respect that, you know, some people might get it mildly. They pass it on. They say the average person gets it, passes it on to three more people. Well, that should, by definition, mean there's at least three people in Wales somewhere now who have got it, um, but have not yet fallen ill, or perhaps they've got a, got a little bit snivelly thinking they've got a cold and they're just passing it on to others. So realistically, what can we do? And I think the answer is we've all got to behave sensibly take precautions okay jacob reese mogg made a little joke on the news earlier he said you should wash your hands regularly and sing the national anthem when you do it now that sounds funny but it's actually very good advice because either either sing happy birthday twice or god save the queen once and wash your hands for that length of time um that's actually very good advice um also be very careful i i like you james i got the same problem you've got in i bite my nails as well and have done since i was a little boy i'm trying very hard not to do that uh, we shouldn't touch our faces unless it's absolutely necessary. Um, be careful, again, with handshakes. I noticed the PDC darts were saying the other day, they're not going to hold it against you if you don't want to shake hands with other players or officials for the time being, uh, which, again, is a sensible thing. And um, be careful. I know when we greet people, when you greet a lady, you kiss her on the cheek and what have you. Maybe it's not the best thing in the world to be doing that for the time being. It doesn't sound like a nice thing, but that's the reality of, I think, where we are at the moment. We just have to be very sensible and very cautious. And it may be, I'm afraid, that come the end of the week, because we had the, um, the, the the emergency meeting of COBRA today. It may be by the end of the week that theatre and cinemas and so forth can't open because Italy is already in that situation. We may sadly have to do likewise. Well, I heard that um, one of the main reasons Italy got it is because the doctor um, who was uh, treating it all didn't diagnose his own symptoms and he travelled to Spain on holiday. So has that got any you know anything to do with the fact that spain is like you know locked down in that hotel in tenerife because i heard uh, you know rumors are rumors i can't believe anything i read nowadays on the internet to be honest mm. but 
if that is true, how stupid can you be? But, you know, Marcus, you know, it's, it's a subject that we'll probably talk about for months to come because, you know, China's shut down. China supplies a lot of the goods in the world. You know, they've even shown today there's a map of uh, pollution since since it's all shut down. There's not as much pollution over China at the moment, which is great to see for the earth. But, you know, this podcast, we are trying to take a lighter look on the world and we are uh, we're not here to discuss news. You've got the 22 minute topic for that, which you've done a fantastic episode with uh, Greg Lance Watkins this week. I, I think my cat's my cat's sitting at me looking at me right now going why are you talking about deep stuff we need to start talking about the good stuff so i just let's start it off with i'm currently eating a cadbury's oreo cream egg and i haven't seen one before apparently they've been around for a while but have you tried one this year have you had any easter eggs or any easter chocolate right yet well we are not at easter we are at lent now we're we had... not you know what it's like christmas comes and goes and literally on boxing day you start seeing easter type chocolate in the shops and when tesco's are doing Two packs for two pounds of five, so you're getting ten for five. You can't pass that by. I wanted to get cream eggs, but it all sold out. James, we, as of last Wednesday, we are now, as a good Catholic boy that I am, we're in a period of fasting and abstinence. Now, let me tell you this. So, the, so is me, that chocolate for you then? That, is that what? Sorry, is that chocolate for you that you give up for Lent? Well, I, 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 well, I haven't done that. I certainly haven't given up chocolate. You can either fast or you can do something extra. That's the rules. You either give something up or do something extra. So in my case, because I know it's easier to do, just give a little bit more than you normally t- would to a charity box, that sort of thing. Um, when that, that's what does it for me. But did you hear uh, about when the, the Englishman, the Irishman, the Scotsman and the Welshman went into a pub the other day? Did you hear about this? No, I didn't. Oh, well, they're sitting around and they're all fathers. They're all fairly recent fathers in the last year or two. And they're talking about their children. And uh, the Englishman starts off. He says, well, uh, my son was born on uh, St. George's Day. So we called him George. And the Welshman said, "Uh, that's a bit of a coincidence. I I became a father just yesterday. Yesterday was St. David's Day. So um, we called him David. And the Scotsman says, do you know what he says? This is such a coincidence. I became a father late last year uh, on St. Andrew's Day. So we called my son Andrew. And the Irishman says, you know what, guys, you're not going to believe this. Same thing happened to our pancake. <laughs> very good. Very good. Very good, Marcus. Very good. Oh. Yeah, sorry if I offended anyone this snowflake generation. but I I'm not sorry if it offended Matt, anyone. I have got many, many friends in Ireland and they've all got a very good sense of humour. Did you see the um, bit of parody that everyone snowflakes are taking the wrong way again on Good Morning Britain this morning? Uh, uh, Andy Peters was accused of fat shaming by Piers Morgan and he appeared to become so like upset and offended by it. But it's clear if you know what Piers Morgan is like, he was uh, taking the mick out of the snowflake generation. I don't know if you saw that. I saw about the first quarter of an hour, 20 minutes of uh, Good Morning Britain this morning and Piers was on form because he's been away for a little while, Piers has. And uh, last week we had three days of Susanna Reid and Bill Turnbull and it was lovely to see Bill back on breakfast television. And, um, you know, he's obviously been through a lot this last few years with his health, but the, those two reunited was a nice sight, it has to be said. And uh, this morning what I did see, I didn't see the bit you said, but there was, there was rumours going round that um, Piers and Susanna had worked together once before many, many years ago. And Susanna said she had no recollection of it. And now this footage has turned up of BBC Breakfast in 2006 of Susanna and Charlie State presenting with guest Piers Morgan promoting a new children's newspaper. And they found this clip and they played it out this morning. And I tell you what, they were both putting on very posh voices in that 2006 clip. And it kind of embarrassed both of them, but it was very, very funny. I didn't see the bit you referred to with Andy Peters. So what happened there? Uh, so Andy Peters was talking about pies and uh, he said, oh, someone in the studio likes to eat all the pies. 
and uh and he's uh and he's done that but it was funny to see Piers because anyone that knows Piers is he's he's a mickey taker you know and he did that and uh you know everyone he got published in the token daily express shared on their facebook page everything like that but you know they everyone was they were making out that andy peters is apparently going to get sacked because Piers morgan requested it's clearly not that but Piers, known Piers, is doing that but you know at the end of the day it's a bit of fun a bit of laugh and you know i like that you know at the end of the day um and i like i I tell you what I, I find the first half hour when they start, they used to start at six o'clock. They now start that bit at half past six. They have half an hour of news leading into it since they changed the timings. But that first half hour of Good Morning Britain when Piers is on is absolutely unmissable because there's no real script as such. They haven't prepared it too much. And the way he just goes off on one and winds people up. And it's clear the dynamic is interesting because it's clear that the team around him like him. And it's clear that he gets on well with the production team. And yeah. I, I know, and I, I said this to you a long time ago, I know, and then you had your own experiences with him, but I know through people I know that worked with him in the, day, the days of the Daily Mirror, yes, he was very on the ball as a boss and was very robust, but he did treat the staff well and they always appreciated his leadership as editor. And you, you speak to people who worked with him then, they do speak very highly of him. I and, really liked him when I encountered him as a passenger. He's a lovely guy, lovely chap. Exactly, exactly. And people who work with him even now do like him. So they know he's on a wind up and they know he gets the reaction he wants. Um, so I, I, I'm, you know, I don't think Andy Peters is in any trouble whatsoever. But Piers Morgan does make some very, very good points about things like the snowflake generation who are utterly humorless, um, who cannot take a joke about anything whatsoever. It seems there is a very large element. You sent me that um, that Tracy Ullman sketch the other day of um, the support group for the Snowflake Generation, and that was very very funny. You can't laugh at anything. You're overly virtuous and overly concerned about everything, and it's this flaming wokeness that gets on my nerves. And it's now got completely out of hand. And Good Morning Britain, that half hour period, half six till seven, when Piers is on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays, in weeks when he can be bothered working, it is unmissable television in my view. No, it is. It's very good. And I mean, I'm really up at that time. And if I am up at that time, I'm getting ready for work and going and I'll be listening to Morsey in the car. And that's what I do in the morning. But um, but yeah, talking about media, obviously, I've I've launched my first podcast on behalf of Worthing FC Supporter Association this week. Rebel Yale, the podcast. Uh, Marcus is the voiceover. So if you hear a familiar Welsh voice in that doing uh, the voiceover clips, you'll know where it's come from. But uh, you listen to it so far, Marcus? I certainly have. Yes. Rebel Yell dot live. There, no, that's Yell, the, the podcast. Yeah, yeah, there you go. He's got he's the commentary and he's the podcast voiceover, I should say, because we do a, a live commentary service, which I'm commentating. I don't know when this will be out. It'll probably be out tomorrow or the next few days, but I'll be commentating uh, for the Worthing versus Brighton and Hove Albion Sussex Cup game tomorrow at Culver Road, which is the head of the Sussex FA. So I'm looking forward to that one, seeing us playing Brighton and Hove Albion. I mean, God, uh, I'm sure, Marcus, you'll be tuning into that if, you, if you're around. Yeah, I'll, I'll be listening. I mean, I listen to all your stuff when I can. And um, yeah. what you're finding is that your team, Worthing, is top of the Isthmian League, isn't it? To pronounce, that's the correct way to say that word, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, I got it right. I thought I did. It is. I mean, uh, the thing is, what I've been finding is, uh, as as someone that's, uh, you know, obviously me and Marcus, for those that know, we met through the media industry and it was all the way back in, what was it, 2006, was it? 2006, the spring of 2006. 2006. Yeah. And I, I came up to Cardiff for an open day at Red Dragon Radio, the old Red Dragon. Uh, good old memories there. And uh, Marcus uh, felt sorry for this poor old kid from London who was having to wait for his train and got him drunk, very drunk on Brains Beer. But that's a story for another day. But, you know, it's quite nice how it's gone in a roundabout way when 
when I got a job at Capital Radio, hoping to progress within the industry. I started on reception, but unfortunately, due to my boss being a bit of a... Uh, unrepeatable on this podcast uh, I, I decided to leave and I've chosen my career of uh, a flight attendant as it is and I've done well in that but it's nice it's kind of gone in a roundabout way my parents were saying to me it is quite nice how you know I wanted to get into this sort of broadcast and media and I've launched a podcast on behalf of the non-league side that I love I'm doing I'm co-commentating on certain games when I can make it and it's just you know there's a real buzz to it Marcus and I know you get that buzz whenever you hear yourself on you know you know you've on Sputnik on on uh, talk sport at night, you know, it's brilliant. It's it's such a buzz, and it's nice that I've actually finally got that little bit of opportunity. I think we've reached a stage now with radio that it's an industry that's contracted so much that the sheer number of people who have really established themselves that can't get gigs is unbelievable. Now, I think about. I'll just use one example of a show I like. There's an online station called Scotland sixty nine. And there's a presenter on there called Steve Jones, and he must be about 72, 73 years of age now. And he was in the 1970s. He was on Radio 1. Then he had a long career on Radio 2, worked at LBC, worked at TalkSport, presented game shows on television, the Pyramid Game and the British version of Jeopardy he presented for a while as well. And um, he's found that he actually lives down in Sussex. Uh, not Sussex. Yeah, he is in Sussex. He's down in Eastbourne, isn't he? He, he presents his show from home on there. He does a two-hour music show. Now, he'll either be paid not very much or doing that show for nothing because of the economies of that station. He probably isn't getting paid anything. Lovely man, Steve Jones, by the way. Friends of mine have worked with him. Um, but I think he's reached a stage now where he's doing that for fun because conventional radio won't touch him anymore. And it's just something he does because he enjoys it. Now, there are so many former radio broadcasters in exactly that position um, because every I'll name names. Every town and city in the country now has lost its local station to heart in effect. Or apart, from my town, apart from my town. <laughs> you haven't got a heart down your way. No, my my local radio station is still locally owned by more radio. Yeah, well, you're very lucky in that case, mate, because there aren't many lasts for a while. Because Spirit, um, in uh, Chichester, which is one of the next major cities along, as well as you know, Juice in Brighton became capital. Spirit is now apparently going to be owned by uh, not Emap anymore. What's it called? The Heart One Bower. That's Bauer, it. Yeah. Not Heart. Sorry, that's the Kiss One Bower. Uh, the Eagle, which I've had experience of uh, in Guildford as being part of the promotions team when I was younger, they're now owned by uh, Bauer as well. So, you know, they're all swallowing up them. And I'm, I'm sure eventually they're all going to become hits radio. Well, very likely. But I, I look at you mentioned Spirit. I'm, a, I'm familiar with that station and what it achieved. Because, yeah, when you were down in Portsmouth way, wasn't it? Well, it was even before that. I used to listen to it online because they had some terrific broadcasters on uh, on Spirit, Spirit FM in uh, Chichester. People like Duncan Barks worked there and uh, Mark... Mark Green worked there and Tommy Boyd has worked there at one time or another. That was quite an an innovative station at one time. And again, we're just seeing this now, this consolidation, which has gone, which has been going on since the late 1990s. It's not a recent thing, but Mm -hmm. we've more or less hit crunch point now in most areas of the country. Whether you used to listen to Century in the Northwest, the East Midlands or the Northeast, that's now Heart. Real Radio in South Wales, uh, West Yorkshire or Central Scotland, that's now Heart. Um, well, it's just everywhere you go has more or less lost their local station to heart. That's the reality of it. Well, look at the and, campaign I did a few years ago um, when Mercury, my well, another station I did work experience at when I was um, 16, mm. changed, bought by, at the time, it was... Uh, it was G. Was it G. Cap back then? G. Cap. No, G. Cap. It would have been yeah. G. Cap. No, G. Cap didn't own Heart then, so it would have been Global. 
but they no, turned G- it. G G G Cap became global when they took it off the stock exchange because yeah. G Cap was a merger of G W R and Capital. G W R and Capital, but G W R didn't own Heart. It was uh, Emap, wasn't it? So, um, so I think I think I think global. It was when they took. But anyway, at the end of the day, they took over Mercury and turned it into Heart, which was a travesty because Mercury was a station that launched quite a few people, Pat Sharp and all that. And it turns out, and you remember the uh, campaign I did to bring it back as a local station and it gained, I hadn't even had a mention in the Guardian, you know, mm. that good old lefty paper, but you know, I didn't have an article there and well, you life know, worked for them. Yeah. And it was, it was, it was brilliant to see, you know, and you know, the local paper, I was in the local paper and you know, it did create a stink, but you know, that's the way local radio is. So I think, as you say, podcasts are sort of a, a new medium where people can listen on the go. You know, as as you know, I'm a big fan of Chris Moles and his, uh, and his show, but I'm not up and I'm not around all the time when he's around. So you know, I'm the one that's going to be listening to his podcast, which I find fantastic because it's got the best bits, keeps me occupied um, on the journeys to work and when he's not on air and I, I really enjoy it. And, you know, I find that, you know, the feedback from this podcast is, you know, we, we do our podcast is by the fans for the fans. Cause it is fans of the club. We're not officially linked, although we had the owner on this week. who wants to work closer with us. And it's brilliant to see, you know, at the end of the day, um, it's, it's a new medium that people can listen on the go. And, you know, that's why I talk podcasts and coffee break and 20 minute topic. And, you know, you've had so much success on, you know, the platform we've done. So I think it's going to get bigger going forward. And, you know, as technology moves on. I am feeling more optimistic about podcasting than I am any other form of media at the moment because I look around me about what's going on. I take what we're doing here and what I've done, obviously, with 20-Minute Topic and everything else that's on the Talk Podcast platform. I look at what you're doing. You're connecting directly with Worthing fans. But I also look at what Danny Baker is doing. Now, Danny Baker was sacked by Five Live in what the early summer of last year, the falling out that happened there. And he's now revived the old internet, um, the, the Treehouse brand. The Treehouse podcast is back. And because he's got that bit more freedom to say what he likes away from the constraints of the BBC impartiality guidelines, it seems to have given him a new lease of life. And I don't know how much money he's making from it. It won't be a fortune, I wouldn't guess. But it's given him a new lease of life, um, the topics he brings in. And it's all such off-the-wall stuff. And also, as well, not only is he free from the constraints of Five Live, he mm. is also doesn't have to interrupt it every 10, 15 minutes to uh, go to a news bulletin or to, to for this, that or the other. So it's given Danny Baker a new lease of life. I also think about what Radio Sputnik has achieved. Obviously, I declare an interest. I'm a regular on Radio Sputnik as a Brexit analyst. I know we stay off serious stuff on here. But I look at what um, John Gaunt has done there, doing a weekly podcast that's played on the station at certain times, but it's available permanently on the um, on the on the Radio Sputnik website as a half hour podcast, he's done some wonderful interviews on there, and he has a, a level of freedom he didn't have in his days at Talksport or BBC Radio London. Same thing with George Galloway. George Galloway is now doing Sunday nights seven till ten on Radio Sputnik. Okay. He has the free he has the freedom to say things on there he couldn't say on conventional radio, and that then comes out as a podcast and it's on YouTube permanently as well. So George is on a high as well at the moment. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a new medium. I mean, as you know, this week, I've invested in getting a new microphone, which you're hearing through now, a blue Snowball microphone, Snowball Ice, and it sounds fantastic, and you already tested it, because, you know, I thought, you know, I, I got a cheap one off eBay to start with. You know, if you've listened to the live commentaries for the Worthing FC matches on RebelYell.Live, you have, you, you would have noticed some of the times the commentary isn't as great because of the quality of the microphones used. Now, I've put this out of my own personal pocket. This is for my podcast and what I will use. Um, it's not for the association, but, you know, at the end of the day, I've invested in it because I think with being on this platform with you Marcus and you know being on the other platforms it's important to get the sound right and um, 
so on and so forth. And I, I'm really liking it so far. I think we've done some really good episodes. I mean, I, I think we're going to have to ske- try and schedule a new pubcast very soon because I think we need to get a bit merry on some beers and uh, talk about random stuff down the pub where we're slightly in, uh, incoherent. Uh, <laughs> sometimes, the slightly, work, yes. sometimes the best work comes out that way. <laughs> the, the pubcasts have been fantastic because neither of us tries very hard on that. The thing, the advantage of the pubcast, of course, is we can see each other and we can tell when one and the other has finished speaking and we can tell by expressions on our faces what the other one's thinking so the pubcasts are great and of course alcohol has that slight effect as well and we don't have any topics do you remember we just go and start rambling on about anything like whereas on 20 minute topic we don't sorry not 20 minute topic as the as the coffee break we don't we don't we have a slight format of what we're going to talk about roughly but we don't always talk mm. about it all, but the the podcast we did sit there and chat and record it and... Oh, oh we we break the rules all the time even on this coffee break podcast mind yeah. you but well, you're on about the snow the snowball microphone i have my own experiences of it because um I, as some people may know i'm also a snooker commentator and i commentated on the english amateur finals weekend back in 2018 and i i spent the entire weekend using that snowball microphone and i have to say uh, the online stream and the feedback we had was absolutely wonderful and I, as a, obviously, you're commentating on snooker is a different thing to commentating on football because I'm indoors. I was in an indoor environment and there was silence yeah. all around me, whereas you'll be at a football match. And the, the big test will be when there's people screaming and shouting around you, does it manage to differentiate between your voice yeah. and um, the voices of um, those around you? Um, but I'm interested because, OK, I, I find it fascinating the way you've done your football commentary uh, yourself and Peter Vale and the, the people who are working on Worthing. Because there's a lot of clubs now, they, they're doing online commentary. And I think even, you know, take Wickham Wanderers, for example. They have an online commentary service. And I mentioned Bill Turnbull returning to breakfast television. Now, Bill Turnbull is a big Wickham Wanderers fan. And when he was pres- and he does Wickham Wanderers commentary off his own back yeah. on their online service as often as he can. He gets down there as much as he can and off- offers his services as a football commentator. Now, he's not a football commentator. He's a hard journalist, as we know, and a breakfast TV presenter. But he, he's so passionate about Wickham Wanderers yeah. that he gives up his time to do that. And they actually played a clip of him. And they liked, they aligned they lined up the uh, video footage of the goal going in as well. So it was as though he was commentating as it went out. And they played it on Good Morning Britain. And actually, Bill is a very capable football commentator. Um, so I, I was impressed with that. So when you were putting together, okay, we, we're all influenced by different people and different styles of commentary we admire. You've gone into this now, and it's it's reconnected you with the radio industry after quite a while out of it. Which football commentators did you admire and try and learn a little bit off when you were preparing to do this? I mean, I think the thing is, at the end of the day, as, you, as those that have listened to the, uh, the commentary, um, Pete Vale is the main commentator and I'm the co-coms and that's what happens. People fill in. So I'm really there to sort of fill in when Pete wants a little break or he, he takes a little shut up or, you know, he wants to have a little swig of a drink and stuff like that because it is real non-league. We're not sitting in the Sky Prawn Sandwich Studios doing this. We are sitting on the terrace. We're paying to get in ourselves. So we are doing it. It's affecting our match day experience. You know, we're not, we're still paying to get into the majority of grounds. And, you know, the end of the day, we're, we're doing it for the love and we're broadcasting to fans that can't come. We're getting an average of 100 listeners a week. So I'm sort of, filling in and as you know over over the years I've always been a fan of Keys and Gray and now they're on being sports and you know I look at myself to find things like I could be that my sort of role of being an Andy Gray style thing like filling in I bring a bit of humor to it which people have commented about you know a bit of banter with 
uh, Pete and everything like that. So, you know, it's just adding a sort of human touch to it. It's not meant to be robotic. We know it's, we try and be as professional as we can. I mean, we are, we're not going to say we're, we're impartial because we're Worthing fans. So we are going to cheer. We are going to scream when Worthing score. It's not going to be a normal football commentator. So, you know, Andy Gray, you know, I think although whatever happened in his past happened, you know, obviously it's not, not acceptable the way he acted in Sky Sports. That's that, that's happened. But, that's where I'm sort of looking at my sort of thing. And, you know, just look at, you know, off the top of my head, I can't think of a lot of the names, but, you know, Jonathan Pierce, even when he used to be on 1548 Gold and moved to BBC, you know, I won't take any influence from Lineker, but he's a TV presenter and I can't stand him, but he's not a commentator. Yeah, yeah uh, I'm, gl- I'm glad you mentioned a few names there and you can come back on this in a sec if you wish, because I think Worthing, and, I, you know, it's, there's a, an, an ironic link here in that, to me, one of the people who defined modern football commentary uh, lived in Worthing and was cremated in Worthing um, when he sadly died just over a year, what nearly 18 months ago now, was uh, my late friend Peter Brackley, yeah. um, formerly of Football Italia. I think he, the work he did, particularly during the Football Italia years on Channel 4 in the 1990s, when he was usually alongside another man who died a few months before he did, actually, Ray Wilkins, the two of them invented the what I consider the, the modern conversational style of commentary where they were sort it was as though they were two mates inviting you into their world, if you like, um, because what you used to get is uh, dear old James Richardson um, doing the Gazetta football Italia on a Saturday morning. It's funny you say that because when I, it's a completely random side topic. When I was on a school trip to Rome, I saw him filming uh, football Italia on the steps in Rome. <laughs> well, the, the, the funny thing is you, I, you know, you saw that and I bet he was there sipping his coffee and posing outside a cafe. Cause that was the big, <laughs> thing with James Richardson doing the Gazettas and then you've introduced the live games from the grounds on a Sunday but Peter Brackley and Ray Wilkins were in this dungeon in Hammersmith commentating off a screen and there was no glamour to it whatsoever in fact the day before on the Saturday Brackley was almost certainly commentating on a Premier League game somewhere in the Midlands usually for yeah. global for worldwide TV audiences the English language feed that went all around the world and the thing I learned a lot from Peter. We were only friends in the final months of his life, and it was quite a shock to me when he died, actually. But he gave me so much support and encouragement when I was preparing to make my snooker commentary debut. And he used to tell me so many funny stories about working with Wilkins and also his theatre tours he used to do around the the South Coast with um, Rodney Marsh and George Best. He told me some wonderful stories. But I think Peter Brackley created the modern conversational style of it and that sincerity and that warmth you heard on his commentary believe me as a bloke he was completely genuine there was no side to him he didn't mm-hmm. try to elbow anyone else out the way you ask anyone from Jim Proudfoot to Gary Bloom any of these people and even I will tell you he gave nothing but encouragement and support and you ask him who his team was he would always say Brighton and Hove Albion he was Brighton through and through um, but yeah he lived in Worthing and sadly he was cremated in Worthing and uh, taken from us too soon I think and uh, I mean, talking about people that have been taken too soon, today was the uh, birthday of a good friend of mine's um, late grandmother, Anne Malin, Nana Lingo. Uh, so, you know, it's uh, it's sad to uh, think that she's been gone coming over two years now. Is it three years now? I can't remember how long. I think it's I three think, years. I think it is three years yeah. because I, I was at her funeral and so was your father. And um, sadly, you couldn't make it due to work commitments. But uh, yeah, she was a great, great character who me and James knew. She's a sort of person you you could go into her home and she'd always make you feel welcome. First oh, time, yeah. first time I went in there, she'd never met me. Just said, yeah, take a seat, as much to eat and drink as you wanted. And we just hit it off. And we were talking for several hours in the end about one thing and another. And people like that, although I only knew her for a short time, 
I sat next to her at your wedding, James. Funnily enough, I was sat next to her that yeah. day uh, in the in the church. She's one of life's characters and is very, very much missed. Oh, you could always put the world to rights with her. You always tell it as it is. And I love the I love the woman like my own grandmother. But you know, I'm sure I'm sure you'd be listening out there telling me to f off like you used to always do. And uh, you know, drink cheers to you, Anne. Oh, but, she didn't suffer but, fools, no doubt about it. No, no, no. I mean, moving on. I mean, talking about you know, like we've been talking about people that passed, but talking about other things. Yeah, obsolete technology, Marcus. You know, can you think of anyone? nowadays that is using because i can think my parents they've been sort of tidying up and doing up their house recently and reorganizing rooms they've still got a vhs player mm. which and they've still got a lot of videotapes whether they use it or not i don't know but i mean I, I'm, I'm trying to think around my house now i mean you know i think the most obsolete technologies i've got i think i'm looking at, i'm sitting in my office while i'm recording this to you now and around me is like where i keep the little bits and bobs i'd say probably one of the most obsolete things here is uh a selfie stick i mean i know that's not exactly old but you know that's, that's not do we use selfie still... sticks anymore they were the fad that came and went yeah it was a fad wasn't it and i've also got a thing called dj and i'll read the box it was uh the cable you need for professional djing on your ipad iphone and ipod touch now this is i remember i haven't even opened it i think i bought it because i think i wanted to be a dj as well like blooming radio and all that lot but you know it, it looks like something you plug into your ipod and you can plug into speakers and it, it's quite interesting actually um uh to do that because yeah i think i mean looking around where you're sitting now what is the most obsolete thing that you've got in your room uh, I have got, well, in my bedroom, I've still got a VHS player, but looking here, I've still got a DVD player, um, which oh, yeah. very occasionally gets used. But what's interesting is I've just upgraded. I've got a brand new piece. Mucky vids. Don't lower the tone. This is a family orientated <laughs> podcast. We have listeners from all generations here, as, as you know full well. We do. There are, there are podcasts out there that discuss that sort of thing. You're oh, welcome to go talking about people rolling around in mud. Mucky vids. <laughs> Enough. Um, yeah, well, I, I've, I recently bought a new PC and the thing that, well, it didn't shock me cause I knew this was coming, but no CD drive mm -hmm. like mine. I haven't got it. Yeah. And the problem you've got uh, now, I know what the solution is. You can buy an external one and attach it to your computer. It's not the end of the world, but it does still have the CD drive. It still has one big function for me. And that is, I again, this is a slightly anoraki thing. You know when you go to the um, the doctors and you, let's say you've got um, earwax and they yeah. can put they can put the um, the gadget down with a little torch on the end and look inside your ear. Yeah. Well, I have got. I'm not going to. No one wants to hear me going on and on about my ailments, so I'm not going to. But I've had many many years of ear problems going back to when I was a child. And I have a tendency to build up wax. That's one of the problems. And a few years ago, I bought on the internet for only about 15 quid a camera that don't, I'm not going to say stick down your ear because that's not a very good idea. But you can put in the opening of your ear and have a look just to see the state of your eardrum and see how much wax you've got in there. Now, that's powered up by a very small CD, a sort of half size normal CD that I just used to put into my computer, start up. It would acknowledge that it was running. And then I would plug the camera in and, and have a little nose down. Um, now, I can't plug up, power up that program without putting the CD in. So I am going to have to buy an external CD drive for that purpose and that purpose only. Can you not download the actual app or something? Is there I, not, I, have, you, have you Googled to see if there's a software you can download for their website? Well, I bought it so, so long ago from a Chinese website, and it only cost me 15 quid, that tracing exactly what it's called, because, again, it's only in a bit of uh, plastic packaging i would maybe say it'd probably be cheaper to maybe see if there's something you can get a modern day version 
Maybe, but I also, because, uh, okay, I've still got my DVD player. Because I've still got quite a few DVDs from years ago, I would like um, an, uh, an external uh, CD drive here. It'll be in the drawer most of the time doing nothing, but I still think that has a purpose. But going on to what you were saying. Do you know, I just pause you there a second. Do you know what? I'm just, just quite funny. I've just seen this right here now. I've just gone on to AliExpress, which is a very good Chinese website. And there's actually a thing you can plug into your mobile phone now. You don't even need the USB. And it's $5.66. And what does that do? It's an earwax camera. You just plug it into your phone and it loads up on your phone. Ah, uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> so, you that, so you, that saved you just that. I mean, it's probably a lot easier as well because you can probably see it holding your hand in place. Well, yeah, that, that's... Yeah, I probably will get one of those now that you've mentioned it. But I tell you what I did do before I, I shut down my old computer. I bought an external hard drive and moved everything over to there as a historical record now that'll be in my drawer most of the time but because they say two things to journalists one always keep all your old shorthand notes for five years before chucking them out because always date them and always keep them and the other is keep a record of everything you've written which i which i do so i got an external hard drive and moved all my old computer over to that um and that's just something to keep but you ask about obsolete technology the most famous example I can think of uh, in recent years of somebody using obsolete technology was, I think this, his name was Dylan Jones. He was, um, was going to be the ghostwriter for David Cameron's memoirs uh, when David Cameron left office as prime minister in, well, when was it now? Straight after, well, not long after the EU referendum of 2016. And there was lots of sit-down sessions where they, they, they discussed David Cameron's life. And instead of recording it on a mobile phone or anything like that, he recorded it onto mini disc. Mm-hmm. Do you know why? Why? Much, much harder to break into. Do you know as well? I remember when I worked at Capital, a lot of even back in that day, so I was working there in sort of 2008, um, and I did my work experience in 2006, and I think even 2014, I did my work experience there. Uh, sorry, no, 2004. Um, and, you know, I, I was looking at it, and they used to use mini disc recorders there all the time when they used to go out on the streets. I'm, uh, yeah, I, I know what you're on about because something similar happened to me the, the day, not the day I met you, but the day you came to Cardiff, first of all, for the media fair, where I was there as well, but we didn't know each other at the time. Um, I was, uh, I got chatting to someone at Real Radio and I said, I've been in student radio and um, I've got a demo of me reading the news. Would you, would you like? And I was just, I was just looking for a way in, in effect. And they said, OK, yeah, here's the name of our, um, our head of news, which I can still remember, but I'm not going to say it on air now. And they said, drop him an email. And I dropped him an email and um, he said, oh, give me a ring. I gave him a quick ring and we had a chat. And he said, OK, um, send me your just a, a one and a half minute demo of you reading the news on um, mini disc. Because in those days, this was only what early 2006, my Internet at home was rubbish and couldn't handle uploading a standard file. Um, a, a, a sound file, which nowadays is no great hardship. But back then, unless you had good broadband, would be quite a challenge. And he said, send it in on mini disc. So I had to get the file to my mate. How did I get it to my mate? I think I gave it to my mate on CD. He had a mini disc recorder and he gave it to me on mini disc. And then I sent it off to, um, to Real Radio. And that was as late as 2006. Never heard from them again, mate. Sad, really, isn't it? I mean, I, I remember, you know, I, I mean, I think I was listening to, you know, my favourite breakfast show, Moylesy, the other day, and they were doing a competition where they drive across the UK to d- dump it. It's called the prize dump, load of prizes in a van. 
and they were broadcasting live just using a micro and an internet connection to the studio while they were on air. I mean, I just think, look at that technology nowadays. Back, But even back then, they'd had to probably add some sort of hardwired connection somewhere to even bother remotely broadcasting, mm. let alone while driving on the motorway to some random part in the country. Um, do they still do that media fair in uh, Cardiff, or was that a sort of one-off type thing? I don't know. I never tried to go to it again, because that no. day I, I spoke to Real Radio, I spoke to Red Dragon, I spoke to BBC Wales, uh, that that was strange because the guy at BBC Wales, he was very happy to see me at the time. And uh, I said, OK, I'll arrange work experience. Now, what happened was for the following month, I had a load of other work commitments. That I wouldn't have been able to do it. I rang him and he had moved on. And I had to go through somebody else and effectively start all that thing again. So what I'm saying, there are any youngsters around now who are trying to break in. Best don't thing to do. If, <laughs> well, if, yeah, well, well, there is a good argument for saying don't bother the way wages are being cut back these days. But if you are going to do something like that, that oh, well, you might not be in a position to arrange work experience straight away. But for crying out loud, put in a phone call, put in an email. I mean, I look, touch at, with people. I look at it now, Marcus, saying at the end of the day, like, so we went to that. We didn't know each other then. But we, you know, it's funny that I had to go from where I was living in the time in Horsham in West Sussex all the way mm. to Cardiff to even look at it, opportunities and I may have to possibly if it had ever succumbed to anything I mean all it was was kind of like an insight to Red Dragon really and none, neither of us ever really heard much after that but I mean it was good for them to like put it on to be honest it was nice it was a nice day and it was gave us the right insight and it really felt like something and you know obviously I worked for the owners of of Red Dragon at the time and you know capital in the future years but I just look at it now and say if I had stuck with that industry I mean I look at it and you you know you you should never look back and regret what you've done in life I mean I do regret regret a couple of exes of mine but as I'm sure you do but you know I look back and I think if I had possibly kept on so I started at Leicester Square on reception as you know and on the calls and you know I did get to know a lot of people I was famously wound up on Johnny Vaughan's breakfast show and you know Welshy no less little Welshy um and you know I look at it and I think if I'd kept on at that, maybe I would have gone into one of the stations itself because I was quite, I'm not blowing my own trumpet. I was quite popular. I did chat to people. I was networking. I had people on Facebook. I still got some DJs and people on Facebook. You know, I was going sitting on studio shows, which my boss for some reason didn't like, but I mean, I don't know why, but you know, that was one of the main reasons of me leaving. It wasn't worth it in the end, but I look at it now and last year, obviously capital and heart took over a lot of local stations in the UK. And, um, made the breakfast shows all come from London, which is absolute rubbish radio anyway. And you uh, think- you've seen the Rajars, mate, for Capital South Wales. The Rajars, by the way, are the uh, quarterly listening figures that are released for every radio station in the country. The listening figures for breakfast and across the board on Capital South Wales have nosedived. Yeah, but I mean, I look at it, mate, and it's, you know, when we could talk, we could, I mean, we're, we're, on, we're on the verge of turning this to a Radio Renaissance podcast, but, you know, it right. was, maybe an idea we should do in the future, a Radio Renaissance type podcast. But, you know, at the end of the day, you look at the, I mean, I'm not trying to diss, you know, but Roman Kemp on Capital Breakfast, the biggest show, well, the biggest radio station pretty much in the UK in terms of brand. It's an awful show. It's the Instagram generation. Molesy's always taking a mick out of it. And, you know, you look what, what it replaced Chris Tarrant in London. You know, we've talked about this a million times before. But imagine if I had gone somewhere. And the likelihood is I could have been shipped off to one of the local stations from Capital who are owned by GCAP or Global. And I could have produced successfully or even been a presenter or one of the shows there. Uh, maybe even got it to breakfast or drive time. And then because of Capital's corporate greed and, you know, GCAP's corporate greed, I could have then found myself at age 32 nearly without with a mortgage you know without without anything i could have found myself jobless and what do i do at 32 because they're not hiring any more people you know and they're getting rid of all these people putting some local instagram famous celebrities sons 
on the breakfast show and replacing it, which is producing rubbish radio. I mean, it's it's awful. And you know, I feel so sorry for those people. But, you know, what are you ever going to do about it? You can't well... do it. And, you know, I, I feel so sad that the radio industry we know. Um, I mean, we won't go into it too deep, but, you know, I know Can you... Can I make two observations based on yeah. what you just said? Uh, just two basic observations. That day when you and I met in 2006 at Red Dragon, the writing was very much on the wall even then, what the direction of travel was, because <laughs> you may recall there was about six or eight of us sat around the table and there was that whiteboard flip chart thing, which is a, a common sight in radio. And they were talking about pushing the brand even then. And they were saying, what's the theme for today and what brand are we trying to push and everything else? And you can guarantee that um, in, in, well, the, the sister station in London at the time, Capital FM, as the old capital as it was, Chris Tarrant had left by that stage and it was heading the same way. This sort of streamlining of the brand was happening up and down the country, even at that stage. They wouldn't have had anything like the same level of freedom they would have had 10 years earlier when it really was local radio. And you really could try wild things like I was talking to my friend, Mike Flynn, who we'll be hearing from um, in a not too distant future on uh, talk podcasts. And he says to me, he started off at Radio City in Liverpool doing overnights in about 1976. And he said typically he would be DJing in a nightclub in Chester. And his name would be on the posters, Mike Flynn DJ in here, uh, 10 to 11. He would leave at 11 he, and, and he would take a load of uh, requests and people's names. He'd go on, he'd dra- drive to Liverpool, go on air at 1 a.m. and um, play a load of requests for people he'd met in the club. And then he said he moved to Radio Wales when it launched in 1978. He had a daily show until 1989. And he said he would arrive, he'd start at nine in the morning. He, he was on mid mornings for many years, then he moved to mid afternoons. He'd arrive just before nine in the morning. And he would literally park up about a minute before he was going to go on air. And then he would have a big bag of posters. He'd put the first record on, the first record on the old 45s, on the old LPs. And it'd be a three-minute record. He'd have his bag of posts. He would not have a clue what he was going to say when those three minutes were up. He'd just open his post and see what was in there. He would not have a clue what he's going to say. And that was a winning formula for 11 and a half years. There was nobody branding him. You must say this. You must say that. You must promote this. Um, you've got to do this corporate link about this competition. You must integrate with the Instagram generation. There was none of that. He was given a daily show and he was told to fill it. And he filled it to a very large extent by just opening his mail and seeing what was in there. And also with various interviews, he, like this YouTube footage of him from about 1986, 87. Ronnie Biggs, the great tra- train robber, one day he just decided he, someone had tipped him off. Here's his number in Brazil. Mike just decided to call him on air and interview him. Didn't bother asking permission. Now, that sort of thing you just don't get anymore in radio. Well, you've got to think, like, you know, going back to, again, you probably think I'm obsessed, but listening to the Chris Moores podcast a couple of weeks ago, he did he does a little bit at the beginning before he does the best bits, and he was actually taking a mick by using Capital FM's branding, and he was going, yes, this is Capital, and uh, did you see Dua Lipa on Instagram last night? She was looking very gorgeous, but here we go. Here's our new song, Dua Lipa on Capital, like that. And this week's one, some, uh, he said at the beginning, oh, when I was doing a Mickey taking of Capital last week, uh, a Capital DJ, I was doing it from Capital Leeds because he was doing a prize drop. A uh, Capital DJ said, I heard your links uh, on the podcast. Uh, it's easy, isn't it? <laughs> and he just laughed. And that just sums it up, doesn't it? Well, that you think now, you compare and contrast what existed in the old days of Chris Tarrant and the way, okay, there's yes, YouTube footage of Chris Tarrant for those who lived outside London in those <laughs> days, which includes myself. 
Yeah, but again, a similar concept to Mike Flynn in that people would just phone Chris Tarrant and he'd have a chat with them and make good radio out of just basic conversation, wouldn't he? Yeah, he was engaging with his audience and you just don't get that sort of radio. And I'm afraid, as I say, when you and I first met in 2006, the writing was already on the wall. Nowadays, I'll tell you what else they're cautious of, pranks and wind-ups they're terrified of. You know, Penky. Yeah, they're terrified of the old-style late-night uh, phone-ins where people could deliver presenters could be deliberately provocative. And by that, uh, James Stanage, James H. Reeve, um, Alan Bezik, if you go back far enough, Caesar the Geezer, Alex Belfield, um, people like that. They are terrified nowadays of um, getting fined by Ofcom um, because there's so much you can't say tiptoeing around now. You mustn't offend this. You mustn't do that. They're just terrified of it. So pranks, wind-ups, and controversy, radio shies away from. But they're just not engaged with the community in the same way they once were. So it's, again, radio is something to do now for fun. If you can get paid for it and get a payday out of it, good luck to you. But do it as well as another job or have some kind of other business interest. Because believe me, it is not a stable industry for anyone anymore. And by the way, I think this is Matthew Wright's last week on Talk Radio. Just like we were talking about, make at the end of the day, that's, uh, that's exactly what we say. You know, we do it as a bit of a love. We do the podcast platform. We've got our own incomes and everything like that. But, you know, we're talking about on this, it kind of a, we kind of got a sort of theme going of retro and obsolete things. You know, we talk about radio that's obsolete. Let's, let's just think about some brands that we can't really get anymore, obsolete brands. Now, I know you've gone on about Maxwell House and Tune Suite and Brooke Bondi, which actually came back in, uh, was it Home Bargains released it recently? Yeah, except it's not called D anymore. It's it's Brooke Bondi now. They they they. Yeah, yeah. It's it's. Uh, did you get any in the end? I, I haven't, but it's still there. It's it's a long term thing. This there's, there's no rush whatsoever. But I'm glad you mentioned Tune Sweets because the one shop that still sells them is the discount store Savers. And it's quite a walk from where I am to the nearest Savers. In fact, it's not too far from one of your favourite uh, Indian curry houses, the Eurasian in Canton. Um, so I was down that part of the world last week uh, in uh, Cowbridge Road in Cardiff. I went into Savers. I bought two packs of tuned sweets. They don't come in tubes anymore. They come in little boxes. And they're about 49 pence a box. I bought two of them. They're tasting as good as ever. But that this is an example of a brand. It still exists, but it's much harder to find than it used to be. Maxwell House Coffee, the only place I know that still sells it now is Iceland. It's been gradually wound down for about 10 years now, at least. And another one I bought recently, in fact, last week, was something called OK Source. Now, I bet that means nothing to you. Uh, actually, you uh, tell a lie. Maybe give it about four years ago, it wouldn't have meant anything to me. But when my wife's from Manchester, as you well know, and um, when we were up visiting the family, um, we went to a takeaway and they told me, let's get some ribs in OK Sauce. And I was like, what the hell is OK Sauce? <laughs> and it's delicious. And funnily enough, I've only ever found it now in the Chinese hypermarket or cash and carry called Wing Yip, which has a branch in Manchester we've been to. And there's a branch in Croydon. I think there's a branch in Birmingham as well. And that's the only other place I've ever seen it. And you know what? It's very nice. It is very nice. But apart from until my wife told me, maybe it's a sort of Welsh pushing up to the northern type of thing. I'll tell you what it is. It's made in Norwich by Coleman's. Yeah. It's well over 100 years old. And in the 1970s, not just the brown sauce market, but the fruity sauce market was highly regional in this country. And OK Sauce was the best selling in London and South Wales. There were they two markets, London and South Wales. And it was available in supermarkets, widely sold, 
The nearest dinner supermarket now is probably HP Fruity. Um, but in about the for about the mid nineties, it was getting harder and harder to find. By the mid nineties, it was gone from all supermarkets and general stores. Last week, I bought a bottle in a Chinese supermarket on Penarth Road in Cardiff, and I had some with my chips. And you're right, it was delicious. What were you in there for? That I went there wondering if I could get OK sauce. Did you? What, the... I mean, I mean, did you... has it got any Chinese connection at all or not? Uh, historically, no. It was. Uh, it was. It, again, before... is that where you know it from? Though is that where you actually know it from? No, no. It was um, a friend of my mother's, um, a, a retired university lecturer. He was a big fan of it and couldn't find it. Then I forgot we had that conversation. And I tell you, when I saw it, I was watching over. I think it was yeah, just before Christmas. In fact, a repeat of Minder with George Cole and Dennis Waterman repeated on ITV4 which, of course, was set in London in the 1970s and 80s, they were in somebody's kitchen, and what was on the kitchen table? Bottle of OK sauce. So I th- that, that triggered the conversation I'd had with my mother's friend some time earlier, and I thought, right, I d- did my research on this, and it turned out, yep, it was the best-selling brand of sauce in London and South Wales, certainly well into the 1970s. And it, it, what happened is Coleman's in Norwich, they uh, they remarketed it. Um, they've only changed the formula very slightly. They've got dates in it now. That's one of the things. There didn't used to be dates in it, but there are now. Um, it's now aimed at the Chinese food market, but it's still widely available. And I've got a bottle of it in my fridge now. Yeah, I need to get another bottle next time at a Chinese place. I know you said Hubba Bubba. I, I think I still see that in America, you know, obviously on my travels. I don't know if I see it in the UK. Apparently, it's still available in larger Tesco stores, though it's nowhere near as popular as it once was because uh, the kids used to love blowing bubbles with it, didn't they? Yeah. And you say Orangina, but obviously you see it occasionally in the UK. But I bought some in Morrison's about two weeks ago. It's still rife in Europe. You see it everywhere. It's Europe, you know, France, Spain. Um, there's a drink in Germany, which I wish I'd bring out here, called Mezomix, which is from the Coca-Cola company. Mm. Um, there's also a Pepsi version called Schwip Schwap, and it's a mixture of orange and cola. It sounds disgusting, but it's absolutely delicious, and I wish Lidl and Aldi would bring it over here. So if you're listening, buyers of Lidl and Aldi, make a request, bring it over here. Um, Golden Wonder, I think, yeah. has been bought by Walkers. No, I think it has, does it? It. I think it has. You're saying Golden Wonder has been bought by I think, Walkers. I think the brand was bought by Walkers. So I think No, I... it wasn't. It wasn't. It, that's definitely not true. Hang on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wikipedia. What does now Wikipedia does not tell you everything that, that's correct. <coughs> Talk about right, it's Walk... Hang on. No. Walkers bought Watsits from Golden Wonder. That was it. What's... I know they bought some stuff from them. No, but it's it's owned by a company called Tato. Which is yeah, Northern, Northern Ireland. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, it, they had a lot of problems about ooh, 10, 15 years ago, Golden Wonder. They ended up getting bought up by Tato, but it's available in Home Bargains by me. I know you've got a Home Bargains in Bognor. It's probably your nearest one. Yeah. But um, it, it's still a, it's one of those things. It's also available in big boxes from the Iceland Food Warehouse. It's one of those things that used to be everywhere. You used to see it uh, advertised, primetime television and everything else declined in the late 1990s but never disappeared completely it's still about golden wonder and it's now owned by tato it's funny because um when you go into belfast city airport when i arrive for work you see tato branding absolutely everywhere and uh you know i think air lingus the national airline of ireland actually sell um on their buy on board service a tato crisp sandwich which is mm. so funny but you know some of these brands i mean i think 
Sunny Delight, I think Sunny D, it was rebranded eventually as Sunny D. I think you still see it occasionally, but I think it was because it was so high of sugars and E numbers. And everything yeah, but do you know what they did? They, they reformulated it because it used to be an orange juice with just lots of sugars and E numbers in it. They've now repackaged it, so it costs about a pound. It's available here. I know I can get it from my local Asda and my local Iceland food warehouse. Yeah. It's now a much more of a budget drink. It's more watery now. Yeah, um, I remember, I remember it, the rectangle bottles and everything. And you know, I remember my mum and dad used to get it quite a lot. It was always in our fridge. I used to love it, and the advertising campaign was huge. It was, um, but people say, "Oh, was it? Isn't this delicious orange juice?" And then you found out why. It's because it had all this gunk in it that wasn't doing you yeah. any good at all. In fact, somebody, I always remember there was that one story, there was some school kid who was so addicted to it, that is, I think it was a boy, his skin turned orange for a while. Oh, really? He was just That's drinking so, so much of it. Uh, you, you can ca- carry this discussion on. Crest toothpaste. I still see that in America a lot, because obviously I go to America, mm. so it's not really unknown for me. But yeah, you don't really see it as much in the UK anymore. Yeah, you know, I, I'll tell you the story there. It's still available from my local uh, home bargains. And the reason they get it is because they, they get a lot of excess stock from other countries in. And it's it's sold a lot in um, in Germany. And I think they get a lot of it from there. Um, the thing about Crest is that uh, it's, it's I think it's Procter & Gamble own it, the, the big multinational. It's either them or Unilever. I think it's Procter & Gamble, though. And they... Um, they just rebranded the British crest into in line it with their Oral B brand. So Oral B, Oral B formula is the same as what crest used to be, albeit improved over time. But you oh, can right. still buy crest if you know where to look. But that used to be as what Maxwell House was to Ness Cafe, crest was to Colgate at one time. Oh, really? That's interesting. It was right up there with Colgate well into the 1990s. Another one, San Marco Pizzas. Used to see them in supermarkets all the time. Um, they used to get advertised on television with the Italian family and everything. I still see it, but only from independent convenience stores. It's quite funny, isn't it? I, I don't, I don't remember that brand to be honest. I really don't. Yeah, they're, they're, they're low-end budget pizzas nowadays, but they're still available in convenience stores. And Mother's Pride bread. Mother's Pride, yeah, I remember that. I didn't know that's not still around. Uh, yeah, it's, it's mainly sold in Scotland now. Um, another one you can still get, and I've only ever seen this in fa- in farm foods in the last few years, and that's Sunblessed. Sunblessed, yeah. Did I, where did you say you saw that? Farm foods. Farm foods, oh, yeah. fair enough. I saw it in farm foods, loads of it, big piles of it in farm foods, but I've, I haven't seen it anywhere else for donkey's years. But it's one of those things that used to be everywhere, and now it's not. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm trying to think of any other brands. I've got Astros. Do you remember Astros? By are they Cadbury's? still about? No, nope, but they are about in South Africa, funnily enough. And I always remember them because my grandfather, bless his heart, used to get them for me. And they were little, I think they were Cadbury's Taker M&Ms. And they were in a little sugar shell with different colours. I remember you put them in the hand. And if your hand was at all wet or sweaty or palms, the food colouring would come off in your hand. You'd have a multicoloured hand. And you'd think about that in this day and age. And um, yeah, they, I don't, they just disappeared. Cadbury's Dream, that disappeared. Skittles, uh, is that still about? Yeah, Skittles are still around. Um, but yeah, it's you know the one I miss from the old days of Cadbury's Spira. I don't remember that one. Spira bars. No. You've never had a Spira. No. Well, it, as the name suggests, it was spiral shaped, and and you, you've never had a Spira. No. Well, I tell you what else has disappeared this last few years, which was sold in Asda by me until quite recently, and until about a year or two ago. You'll know this one: fruit polos. 
Oh, yeah, fruit polos. Yeah. Do you remember when they did the polo holes? You could get the holes as sweets, and they actually did it as a for quite a long time, and they were just in a sort of take-on-smint type size. Do you remember them? I do remember, and I remember the TV advert that accompanied it as well. They were big, plastic, like, polo-type thing weren't they and the dispenser and that was quite that was quite cool to see but yeah you know, i think we look at all these and you know we reminisce on times we have to think what's going to come in the next 10 years and what will be sitting here in 10 years time thinking what do we have 10 years ago that we don't have today i suspect that usb stick stays are numbered would be my guess well my I, i'm broadcasting from my macbook which is a macbook uh pro and I, it's about two years old two and a half years old now and it only has USB-C, so i have to use a USB-C adapter to plug a usb device in so you know that doesn't have a USB-C and everything like that you know it's quite interesting isn't it well i tell you what else i think will be on the way out and this i think you'll agree with satellite dishes on the side of houses yeah, yeah, that's all going to come through the internet or even 5G, I think. Yeah, well, I think five, well, the trouble is there's still, there are still pockets, particularly in rural parts of the country, where the broadband really isn't that good. It's like our friend Greg Lance Watkins, where he lives in the Gloucestershire countryside, he's not even got two megabits, you know. I mean, mate, I mean, I, I, when I moved down to Worthing, you know, I'm literally at the edge of my village where I live, and I'm the furthest away from the box because I'm right at the outskirts of the village. Uh, unfortunately, if I was closer to it, it'd be a lot more closer to 30 to 40 meg, but I'm I'm lucky to get between 15 and 20. It's all right for streaming stuff like Netflix. I never have any issues, to be honest. But, you know, uh, nowadays, you know, it's got to get better. And I'm hoping with 5G and the invent of 5G, it may get better. And I think that's going to be the new thing. I mean, Sky already, you know, the box is a lot smaller now. I've got Sky Q. I think, to be honest, you're going to see once 5G is fully established in the UK, I wouldn't be surprised to see that's the next generation of Sky is going to come through 5G. It's going to be broadcasted over there or the Internet. And I think the way we consume entertainment is changing rapidly now. Now, I don't want to get into a big debate about the BBC license fee, um, but you're looking now that a significant number of young people consume all their entertainment via the Netflix or Amazon Prime. They don't watch linear television at all. Um, and the thing about linear, it, it, apart from events you have to watch live, like live sports and talent contests, people are increasingly choosing their own schedule. In effect, they don't need a TV guide to tell them what to watch and when to watch it. You know what's available. You're told what's available and you pick and mix for your own schedule, for your own convenience. Now, that's sad insofar as we don't have the collective experiences anymore. You don't go to school like when we went to school and everyone would say, did you see this on TV last night? Chances are you were all doing your own thing last night. But I think conventional television as a model will have had it within 10 years, probably less than that, because I look at the viewing figures now and on a typical week, BBC One, when Strictly Come Dancing isn't running, nothing gets 10 million viewers. Uh, even the 10 o'clock news gets below 6 million viewers most most nights. Um and that, and it's the same thing. You look at ITV; they go for the, they really target the stuff like Dancing on Ice and the X Factor and so forth because they're the sort of programs you have to watch live as they go out. Um, you you look at things like soaps. The soaps rate very well for ITV even now, though they only get about half the audience they had ten years ago. But a lot of people are uh, downloading it and skipping through the adverts. So it's big event live TV is what's keeping the industry going, but whether linear TV as we know it has much future. I don't think telly in that sense has any more than a few years left in it, to be honest. Yeah, and just to think, um, 
we, I think, to be honest, you know, you look at Netflix, I'm looking forward to a certain program called Sunderland Till I Die, not because I'm a Sunderland fan, but because there was a certain football match played at Wembley Stadium, which using Netflix dramatics, where a certain team called Charlton Athletic won via three minutes up, no, sorry, six seconds from time. I'm quite looking forward to seeing how they play that out. And uh, um, well, I, I call Charlton London Welsh now because they've got so many Welsh yeah, players. So. But I mean, I, I, Charlton are on a precarious cliff edge right now i'm just glad there's other teams around us from being the top of the league at the beginning of the season to now down at the bottom for injury we just got we got a long run in i think there's 10 games or so left we need to win as many we lost 4-0 to huddersfield which was an awful display we got middlesbrough on saturday but you know let's think you know i think we've we've had a we've had an interesting podcast when we we, we speak again i think we'll have to fit it in at the end of march beginning of april and uh we'll speak and see where we are in the football league and football um but one thing i want to leave you with marcus is a floppy disk do you remember that? Of course, I remember it. Yeah, I remember it very well. That was the stand. That was the I standard thing them. in the nineteen nineties. I had one in my old uh, my old Atari, and I think the first two PCs I owned had floppy disk drives. No, and I remember uh, I remember the floppy disk on a, having to upload my homework and hearing that noise. Do you remember like that? And you could hear I, it I, working. I, me- I remember it very well. I also remember the noise of a dial-up modem in the late 1990s. But I'll tell you what, I saw something maybe about a year ago on, uh, it was a, a, I think a BBC website thing. They just went up to uh, young people in the street, to the millennial generation, 18, 19, 20-year-olds, and said, here's an AM, FM radio. Do you know what to do with it? And they did not have a clue what all the numbers went or what you had to do with it. They were just not familiar with how to tune an AM FM radio. And that 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 to me says a lot. And I read something yesterday about um, all this nonsense now about Radio 1 chasing this non-existent youth audience and Five Lives trying the same thing. And it's just not going to work because... That I, don't, I won't go off on another tangent here, but that generation is used to getting the music they want and the podcast they want on the terms they want. Yeah. They're not used to listening to conventional radio. And what this, this bit of research found is they were asking university students, do you listen to Radio 1? And do you know what the answer they got more than once was? What? They didn't even know what it was. There you go. And I mean, I remember having a little pocket DAB. I didn't have one myself, but you thought that was it. And now you can just get it all streaming via the internet on your phone. But I think um, on that bombshell, I think we've had a really sort of reminiscent episode here, Marcus. It's been really good to talk about the past and bring up old times, talk about radio. I've enjoyed it as per usual. I'm sure you have as well. I have. It's been an absolute pleasure as always. And let's do it again next month. Yeah, and if you've got any uh, feedback for us, Marcus Stead on Twitter or Mr. Underscore Worldwide Underscore 88 on Twitter. Uh, you've got the Talk Podcast feed at Talk Podcast. Give us a shout out. What you like to hear next time? I hope you've enjoyed this episode. But from myself, James Easton. And from me, Marcus Stead. We thank you and good night. And we look forward to uh, speaking to you again next month. See you next time. <laughs>